y'all are here this morning. I have a yardstick up here. Anybody falls asleep. Um, <laughs> and yes, I can see you out there. So, some of y'all, uh, there were a couple of ladies who I think were, we were, Karen and I were talking with at one point that were horrified to discover that from up here you can see everybody at all times. But uh, <laughs> um, but those of you who have around me, been around me for any length of time, you know that I love words and ideas, that I have a particular fondness for vivid and memorable expressions and stories. Uh, in fact, one of the things I love most about Jesus' teachings is that His expressions and His stories are both vivid and memorable. He uses words that stick in you like a cockleburr, right? And you can get you can get a hold of them and they work on you for a while, right? He encapsulates so much depth into so few words and and so much power in se- seemingly simple stories and phrases. So I bring all that, that up to say this that one of my former pastors when I was in Dallas is a brother named Tommy Nelson, who I dearly love and respect. And uh, one, of the, one of the times he was preaching, he asked this vividly worded question. He said, when we baptize people, how come we don't hold them under until they quit bubbling and just send them to glory? Right? <laughs> and, and the obvious answer, and I did what you all did, laughed. Right? Because the obvious answer is because that would be evil and wrong. Right? But there's a deeper answer to that. And the point is, is that God, having saved us, has left us here for a purpose, with a mission to fulfill until the time that we are taken up to glory. And so God's purpose is not simply to save us as glorious and amazing as our salvation is. It is also to help us to grow to maturity after our salvation and along the way to make, see if this sounds familiar, disciples among all nations. I love that I'm surrounded by flags today. Okay? Because that is the mission. That's the job. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not a believer for yourself. You're a believer that you might carry the mission of Jesus all around the world to all nations, beginning with your family and your neighbors and your neighborhood and your community and your state and your world. And this this was brought home to me this week as I was talking with my son, my youngest son, wants to go out to college and visit a, a Christian college in Los Angeles called Biola. It's a wonderful place. We're going to go visit uh, in a couple of months. And I was talking to him about how his mother and I did not want him to go to California, of all places. Right? <laughs> because, for one thing, it's a plane flight to get there. And it's far away from us. And then he Jesus-juked me. He was like, he was like, well, you know, I know it's a liberal place, but didn't you you and Mom teach us to go to the place where the need was great? And if that was a foreign country, you'd be first in line to go there. And I was like, hey, gone that boy. <laughs> but uh, he got me, right? But that's the mission, 
The mission is to run to the sound of the guns. To go to where the need is great and make disciples there. Right? So, uh, if you'll notice, that the, if you look at the picture on the uh, back of your sermon notes section, on the back of your bulletin, uh, you'll notice that I've titled this study through First and Second Thessalonians, Until Jesus Comes. Until Jesus Comes. Uh, because what these books are there to teach us is what to do until Jesus comes. Between the day of your salvation and glory, or uh, you know, until Jesus comes, how do you spend your days? Making disciples is the mission we've been given until Jesus comes back. And you'll not be surprised to learn that Paul and Silas and Timothy, in writing these letters, are very concerned that the Thessalonians see and understand their real-life model for disciple-making, which they're showing us through these books. And so I and I can't wait to show it to you. So if you got your Bible, flip over with me uh, to the book of First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter two and the first part of uh, chapter three together today, uh, beginning in verse seventeen. And if you'd stand, if you're able, as I read, uh, this is uh, this is First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning verse seventeen and ending at chapter three, verse five. This is what the Word of God says. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has now come to pass. Just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Let's pray. Father, above all else, we do not want to get to the end of our lives and find out that our labor and our life was in vain. We want to be people who carry out the mission and who have people in our lives who are our joy, our hope, our crown of boasting before the Lord and His coming. Father, we pray You would help us this morning to fulfill that goal by learning what it looks like and then to enact it as we go from this place. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, remember the context of these verses. The Thessalonians are a church full of baby Christians who are already under persecution for their brand new faith by everyone around them. Probably including some of the members of their own families. You know, I, I think it's hard if you're a husband whose wife doesn't follow Jesus. Or if you're a, 
a, a, a wife and your husband doesn't follow Jesus, or maybe you're a daughter and you come to faith in Jesus and your mom disowns you, or your father wants nothing to do with you, or your brothers and sisters have a funeral because you became a, a follower of Jesus. I know people that this has happened to in this country where they bury, they, they actually, I know one, one woman whose family bought a casket, put all of the pictures of her in it and buried it and treated her ever since as if she was dead to them. It's hard sometimes to be a follower of Jesus as one of the only members of your family and that's the case. That kind of thing is happening to the Thessalonians. And on top of that, there are all kinds of accusations made about Paul and the other apostles with him. And one of the things that sticks the hardest and cuts the deepest is this. These guys don't really love you after all. They, are, uh, they look at you as just another sucker that they played on their, uh, on their you know, let's go make money from all the rubes tour. You know, you think of him as the Apostle Paul. I think of him as Professor Harold Hill and he sold you a boy's band, like in the Music Man, right? Uh, this guy is a charlatan who is taking advantage of you. You say they taught you the truth? Really? Has anybody ever heard of anything so ridiculous as God becoming a man and dying for sins and rising again to give new life for free? Really? Come on, you don't believe that, do you? You can just hear it, can't you? And given the apostles' sudden departure under threat, that kind of mockery has a deep and insidious power. Here I am, Thessalonian. And I'm suffering. Maybe I've lost my job. Maybe I'm in danger of losing my marriage, my family relationships, my neighbors have disowned me. People walk on the other side of the street when I come down it. These guys left when the heat turned up. Am I just a sucker? They get this letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they talk about their love and the reasons they have not been back yet. Verse 17 says, We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. The word that's translated torn away there has the idea of something being ripped like there's no way that we were separated from you without doing damage to both of us. Right? Like we were glued together in heart with you and having to leave ripped our soul in half. We were torn away from you. It, we didn't leave because we didn't love you. It, it isn't that we left because we didn't love you. We had to leave. We were forced to. Even though leaving you ripped a hole in us. And while we were separated from you in person, our hearts were behind. That's the idea. And so we tried repeatedly to get back to you. But we failed, not for lack of trying, but because Satan hindered us. 
In fact, Paul is prime, probably the primary author of this letter, but he interjects right here, I personally tried again and again because we longed to be with you. Now, if you, if you want to read the backstory on this, you can read it in uh, uh, Acts chapter 17. Um, Paul talks, uh, the, uh, Luke writes about this and, and what happened. And what happened is, in order, uh, when they left, the Thessalonian city officials grabbed one of the new believers, a man named Jason, and they said, we want you to post a bond. And if these guys ever come back here and cause any trouble, then we're seizing your property. This guy very likely, had, the text doesn't tell us exactly what he had to put up, but it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to attach your house if these guys ever come back and cause trouble. And so Paul kept trying to figure out, how do I, how do I get back there without harming my brother? And so he just sums it up by saying, Satan hindered us. Paul and Silas couldn't go back there for a long time, causing their brothers and sisters to suffer even more loss than they already had. So that's what these verses are about. But you know what they show us? What they show us is deep love for the men and women that Paul and Silas and Timothy discipled. You know, it's easy if you aren't careful and get involved in ministry and people have overwhelming needs sometimes. And it's easy to kind of, in some sense, subconsciously even, hold people at a distance and see them as just another ministry project, just another person you've got to meet and talk to and so forth. Because it's easier, frankly, than letting people in to your heart and, and feeling along with them and loving them deeply. Not as, not as people that you do things to, but as people that you are with and that you love. It's easy to start thinking like this. Well, I've got this people in my discipleship group. I've got this many people in the core group of my new church plan. I've got this many folks in this class that I'm leading. And start to think of people as numbers and numbers as measure of success. But what they are is people that God has given you to love and to help them know and love Him as you love them. And so as we make disciples, if we want to do it like Jesus and the apostles did, you've got to love people deeply. You've got to get into life with them and wade in as deep as it goes. And in some cases, you're going to be up to your nostrils in the muck with them. But that's what love does. Amen? You're going to wade in as far as they, as far as they need you to get into their life with them that you can show love to them and help them to know and love Jesus in their circumstances. You're going to make disciples, you've got to love them deeply. And you love them deeply not just because they're worthy of that, because you've been given love like that by the Lord Jesus, 
but also because they are part of Jesus' reward to you. Do you know that? They're not just part of your reward in heaven. They're part of your reward and blessing now. I love these verses. I just I think the, the joy and love in these verses, 19 and 20, just ooze out of the page if you read it. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. In other words, whenever Jesus comes back, you are part of my reward that I enjoy with Him. The people that you love, the people that you ministered to, the men and women that you poured your life into and discipled, they are part of the reward that you get now and then. You get to take eternal pride in your relationship with with other people. Whatever glory and joy I have in ministry, whatever hope I have day to day, some part of it is wrapped up in mutual love one for another. By the way, just as a pastoral aside, let me just say this to all of you sitting. Only one who feels this way. I feel this way about every single one of you. You are my glory and joy. You are my joy and hope and crown of boasting before the Lord that is coming. I did not waste my life in coming to Philadelphia. I am glad that I spent it here. And for 16 years, you have been my hope and glory and crown of boasting before the Lord. And I am so glad. Our mutual love for one another gives me hope and joy every single day. A big part of my reward is I follow Jesus as y'all. And by the way, whoever you minister to, big part of your reward too. You should feel the same way about people that you lead and disciple, whether it is your kids in your home, your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends down the street. Look at them as if they are precious gifts to you from Jesus because you know what? They are. As part of the reward you enjoy now and for all eternity. When I stand before the Lord one day, you know what I'm going to say? Lord, I don't deserve to be here. I'm glad I'm here. But look at all these people that you gave me. I'm so glad to be here with them and with you. Love them deeply as part of Jesus rewards you because they are. And you also, as you're making disciples, you've got to shepherd them to protect their faith. If you're a shepherd, you've got two jobs. You've got to love your sheep, lay down your life for your sheep, and shoot the wolves. 
right? That's the job. Protect from harm and lead to where the good grass is, right? So what do they do practically speaking? Um, they send Timothy. Paul, go, uh, Paul can't get back to the places they've been thrown out of in Philippi and in Thessalonica. They regard him as a troublemaker in both spots. So he's like, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm here in Athens. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to be all by myself. I don't like being by myself. But I need to get you guys back to the places we just left and make sure that these guys are well taught and protected. And so he sends Silas off to Philippi. And he sends Timothy off to Thessalonica. He's the youngest. Probably was in the background of a lot of what was going on. Nobody really noticed him. So we're going to send him on the sneak back to Thessalonica to work with these new believers. you got to protect the sheep. Feeding them is what will make them strong and healthy and keeping them from dangerous things that will harm them. So that's what they did. Left, they left Paul in Athens all alone. While he's there, he has that famous Mars Hill discourse uh, with, on the Areopagus. Um, but the reason that he stayed behind and didn't go back was to protect them. But he couldn't leave them alone. He's like, i got to send you a shepherd. So he does. He sends Timothy. And Timothy does a couple things. If you look at the list, to establish, in other words, help you get rooted, and exhort, that is, prod you along, you in your faith. So that in the middle of these afflictions, you wouldn't be pushed off. Right? Because one of the things that we're tempted to do when, when things get rough, and over the last month at my house, things have been a little rough, Karen's taken off for a contingency assignment in Decatur this week. My favorite thing. You can read that as sarcastically as you want. Um, probably is not as sarcastic as I'm delivering it. But, um, and we were just with her dad Friday and Saturday. We had a wonderful time visiting with him. We're going home and we're going over there in tears because it's not the same. Mom's not there. It's been rough. And one of the things that when it's rough can happen to you is you start looking at God kind of with the side eye, right? And going, uh, you know, uh, you didn't really deliver for me in the way I thought you were going. And it can be a temptation to wander away. And so they send Timothy back to help them to make sure they don't wander away. To reassure them, to continue building them up. Christians generally, but young Christians like these especially need reminding and encouragement to keep growing even in the teeth of trouble. Because life is full of it. Life is full of it. Jesus, in fact, told us it would be. He said, He said, In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. They're afraid, the apostles were afraid if they don't do something, 
Satan might successfully lead these people whom they love astray from their new faith, and that would have been crushing because there's nothing worse than seeing people whom you love wander away from Jesus. That's the worst thing. On the other hand, there's nothing better in all the world than seeing people that you love embrace faith in Jesus. And so they try to shore up their faith, and that's part of your job as you're making disciples. Love, teach, encourage, exhort, keep them from wandering off. Right? So how do we apply this, this part of God's Word? Number one, we need to remember what the assignment is. Right? Understand the assignment. Between now and whenever Jesus comes back, make disciples of all nations. That's the job. Make disciples of all nations. Number two, practically speaking, that means loving them deeply and shepherding them well. Love looks like time and care and taking joy and delight in them. Seeing them as part of your reward as you follow Jesus with them. Whenever Jesus comes back, you are going to stand before Him and give account for how you spent your life. Now, understand that there are two kinds of judgments that the Bible talks about. One kind of judgment is the kind unbelievers get. That's like a criminal trial. Here's the extent of your sins. Uh, none of those sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, you're going to hell, and this is what it will be like for you. Okay? Um, judgment for believers is like the Olympics. Notice both of those experiences have judges, right? One evaluates degree of punishment. One, degree, one gives degrees of awards, reward, right? Gold, silver, bronze medals at the Olympics, right? Um, and I personally want to go for the gold, right? And I want you to as well. One day we're going to stand before the judges and receive our reward. We're going to give account before the of how we did at accomplishing the mission. He gave us years in which to do it. Part of our joy, part of our reward will be connected to the relationships we have in making disciples along the way and loving them and showing them Jesus and how to follow Him. Right? Discipleship is simple. It's show and tell. Right? You tell people what Jesus commands and you show them how to do it like you do it. Right? How do I read my Bible? Well, this is what I do. What's a Bible? Well, here's a Bible. right? You can get more basic than that. Uh, what are all these numbers in the Bible about? Well, there are chapters and there are verses. The big numbers are chapters, little numbers are verses. This is how the Bible's arranged. right? You've got a section of law books, then a section of history books, uh, then a section of... Uh, poetic books, and then you've got prophets at the end. Uh, and then you've got Gospels, there are accounts of, about Jesus and His life and ministry and teaching, and then you've got the book of Acts about how the early church got started, then you've got letters to leaders and churches in the rest of the New Testament. Right? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, 
Well, how do you, where should I start reading? Start reading in Mark. It's a good, easy to understand book, and it's all about Jesus. Right? This is how I do it. You do it like that. Well, how do you pray? Well, let me show you some examples in the Scripture. But let me also share with you how I do it, and when I do it, and where. How do you love your wife? Well, let me tell you what I do to love mine. This is what the Scripture says. But let me also give you some practical things about how to apply that. This is what I do. How do you raise your kids? Well, this is what the Scripture says. This is what we did to apply that. Right? All the way along the way, you are showing and telling people how to live the Christian life. Come follow me as I follow Jesus. Real simple. Show and tell. Right? Just like when you're in kindergarten. Um, everybody can do this. Not only can everybody do this, everyone is empowered to do this by the Spirit of God. Everyone is equipped to do this by the Word of God. And everyone can be encouraged to do this in a church body that is committed to this. Right? So, when we do that, what happens is we experience great joy. Experience great joy in doing this. It's a whole bunch of fun. There's no greater joy, as John said, than that my children are walking in the faith. Right? People that you disciple become, in a sense, your children, and you help them walk in the faith. And there's no greater joy on this earth than that. The bottom line, look at your life and consider the following thing. Okay? Who's around you right now? Like, make a list. These are the members of my family. These are my close friends. These are the people that I know well enough that in my neighborhood that I could carry on a conversation with them about something serious. Uh, these are the people I work with that we talk about all kinds of other stuff. And these are people I could talk to about this too. So identify who's in your life. And then secondly this, be bold enough to pray this prayer. Lord, who do you want to be my joy or hope or crown of boasting? Of all the people on this list, who do you want me to pour into? And I don't want to scare you, but Jesus is going to answer that prayer for you. And then you're going to have to be courageous enough to be obedient to what he said. Okay. Sometimes people get frustrated because none of their prayers get answered. He'll answer that one, I guarantee it. Lord, who do you want me to help get closer to you? And then if you need some, some tips and tricks and help along the way, guess what you got? You got church elders. You got brothers and sisters. You got a pastor. All of whom love you and want to help you do it. And you got the Holy Spirit within you along the way. And so, I think we, it could get to be a whole lot of fun if we all do that together.
It's not just our calling. It's not just Jesus' command to us. It's also something we are able to do in obedience to the Lord. And something that will be held to account for doing. Amen? So, given that, I want to encourage everyone to do what the Scripture says, what the flag represents, to go into all of the world. You don't have to go on the other side of the ocean. Back to your neighborhood. Back to your neighborhood. Back to your house. Some of you live in houses with unbelievers. Guess where the Lord would want you to start? Right there. Start with where you are. Work your way out from there. Go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost part of the world. You are saved and you are sent. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, help us to, to find our joy in You and to let our joy overflow from You to other people. Father, You give us great reward. Not just in eternity, but now. You give us great reward as we minister to other people. Father, help us to find where You are at work and to join You there. And to take responsibility for the people that You put in our life. We know that they're there for a reason. And the reason is, is that we are there. And we are Your ambassadors of the Gospel. And so, Father, help us to be bold in seizing those opportunities. Help us to be joyful in pouring out love to all the people around us. Help us to love one another deeply and to, to shepherd people well. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.